talking about Dracula? Hey guys, welcome back to Capacity to Geek. This is Alex, and with me as always is Bobby and Walter. Say hey guys. Hey. Hey, what's up? And, uh, as much as I hate to admit it, it's a Walter episode, guys. So, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the 2010 Darren Aronofsky film, Black Swan. This, it's one of my favorite films of the decade. It was nominated for Best Picture. Natalie Portman got a Best Actress Award out of it. It was, to me, the first time I saw it, I was absolutely blown away. And I knew I had to see it in theaters again because I had so many, like, wait, I need to see this part again and I need to see this part again to understand what the hell is actually going on because this movie is an absolute trip. Well, we're about episode seven or eight, if I'm counting correctly, on this show, right? Something like that. Yeah. Well, boys, the time has come. We have to talk about Natalie Portman. This woman ruins Star Wars. Hayden Christensen ruined Star Wars. Natalie Portman ruined Star Wars. Hayden Christensen ruined Star Wars. Natalie Portman ruined Star Wars. Okay, let's be real. George Lucas ruined Star Wars. You're tearing me apart! I'm going down a path that I cannot follow! Oh, I'm dying of a broken heart! I don't want to be on these movies, so I'll be a whiny little bitch! Natalie Portman ruined the Thor movies, too. And now she's going to be Lady Thor. I'll give her one more chance on that, but Jane Foster kind of sucked. I like the Jane Foster character in the first movie, not so much the second. Nah, she sees primordial ooze, she decides to poke it. That's a scientist right there, my friends. Bobby? No, last I checked, this is about Black Swan, and I really don't want to go off and just talk about how much I hate the Thor movies, except for Ragnarok. The one without Portman. I mean, fair point. And also, I saw Thor. I saw the first Thor in 3D and completely fucking ruined my life as a teenager, at least. <clears throat> the first Thor was okay. The second Thor is, to me, tied with Iron Man 2 for the well points of the MCU. At least Iron Man 2, you get a little bit of fun out of it. See, maybe it's because the one time I watched it, I just didn't like it and I didn't see it on the big screen. But I just found Iron Man 2 to be a dull drag for the most part there were some fun parts i don't think the mcu has honestly made an objectively bad film like, yeah, guys are we actually gonna talk black swan or what i i guess we have to don't we so walter since this is your film i'm gonna let you lead the discussion all right um so if you haven't seen the movie general outline it's about a dancer natalie portman her dance crew is doing Swan Lake and she is obsessed with getting the lead. She is obsessed with getting the role of the Swan Queen to the point where it actually drives her insane. But when she actually gets it, it pushes her even further over the edge. And there's a lot of what's real, what's not, what's in her head, what's actually happening, how much of this scene is real, how much of that scene is real. It's a movie that makes makes you think and it's also a movie where it kind of makes more sense upon multiple viewings but also you just find more questions every time you watch it so what did you guys think so back to what i said after the movie i have questions i'm confused and i have to pee except i don't have to pee anymore so i'm just like i'm just still confused one out of three ain't bad hit hit us with the questions was mila kunis real if she was would 
But Natalie Portman and Mila Kunis actually have lesbian sex because we all know that was a dream. If if Mila Kunis' character wasn't real, then who the fuck actually stabbed Natalie Portman? Did Natalie Portman actually get stabbed at the end? My theory. They, I don't think Darren Ar- Aronofsky ever cleared this up because... I think he wants people to put the puzzle together for their own, like, headcanon. For me, Mila Kunis' character is very real. A lot of the interactions between her and Natalie Portman are not. Um, They actually go out and actually have drinks and actually meet uh, those two guys at the bar. One played by Sebastian Stan. Yes. Everything after that is fake. They don't ride home together. They don't end up hooking up in her bedroom. Well, we knew that part. Right. They dressed as a wet dream. So, I guess with the word wet dream, we're going to call it a non-censored episode. So, boys, fuck. 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 All right. Continue. And as far as the end with who stabbed who or who was even stabbed, so you know how at the beginning, Natalie Portman struggled through the first act of of, uh, Swan Lake. She had the fall. She wasn't quite coordinated at the end. She went into her dressing room, in my opinion, broke the mirror, stabbed herself. I think she had a hallucination. Maybe she did kind of see me like Kunis there. She charged at the mirror and just it pierced into her. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, but uh, this movie did get really trippy and everything. Um, it's definitely an adaption of Swan Lake, uh, although it kind of knows that it is because there's a point where Tomas, the uh, theater director, he comes in while they're all rehearsing and he just flat out says what's going to happen in this fucking movie. Like, he just flat out says, oh, there's the girl trapped inside a swan where she's so beautiful and she just wants to be free and she thinks she's free by the prince but then the black swan comes and courts the prince and then the white swan kills herself yeah no that's exactly what happens in the movie yeah so it's it's like you know like in the edgar wright cornetto films where uh where, like in Shaun of the Dead, um, Ed says to Sean that uh, basically it's like this thing where they're going to... It's an elaborate exaggeration of the plot where they say that they're going to go to the pub, they're going to pick up the friends, they're going to... And it's all the things that transpire in the movie. And I think they do that too in Hot Fuzz. I'm kind of certain they do something like that in The World's End, but uh, it's definitely what I took that part as, where it's like okay, here's everything that's going to happen, and then everything happens. Yeah, and it's kind of like, for Nina, a self-fulfilling prophecy. She's so obsessed with performing in this show and being that character that she literally is that character, including meeting the exact same doom the character meets in the conclusion of the play. Right, yeah. And uh, I guess maybe before we should start, since this film does deal with uh, mental illness and uh, schizophrenia and whatnot, um, if you or anyone you know feel like harming yourself or others, uh, please seek help. Uh, Go to somebody you trust. Um, Go before you feel like it's too late. Because it's never too late unless it is too late. It's 10 o'clock at night. It's pretty late. And yeah, um, you can really see a lot of commentaries and shows of mental health in this movie. Definitely schizophrenia with the hallucinations and all that. Um, A lot of this could stem from also being in a depressive state. Right. Anxiety. And And it's just also, I think, a showing of how much pressure is put on people who perform 
especially live performers, to go on in front of an audience of hundreds and even thousands and be perfect or else everyone out there is going to judge you at least in your own mind. Right, and it's kind of a little bit fitting that we watch this movie after uh, reviewing Rent because in Rent it also deals with performers and performances, but the thing is that in Rent it plays it where the things that make you unperfect, the things that make you different, the things that make you you are what make you shine, are what make you a star, where with Black Swan everything is ballet it's a ballet number you know it's a it's a ballet um it's all about perfection it's all about doing it the exact right way it's about captivating the audience in that essence just routines 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 and just doing everything like that ballerinas have a history of just getting their bodies destroyed becoming anorexic uh, smoking at a young age um just destroying their feet the world of ballet has all those uh, all those things to it where sometimes it's probably not even worth it, honestly. Um, sometimes you do crack under pressure. Sometimes you do just have this mentality about yourself. And uh, what we get with Nina's mother, um, it's only played in a few different lines, but uh, it's meant to imply that Nina's mother was a part of a company as well. Um, I'm pretty sure it's not the same company as Nina's working at, but she never really made it until uh, Nana eventually dropped out after conceiving Nina. But um, there is kind of just this dance mom uh, feel to it where Nina's mom was pressuring her into doing this until it was probably too late. By the end of the movie, by the time that she performs opening night, she's just fully gotten over, uh, gone overboard, over the edge, and it ultimately leads to her downfall. I do believe that Nina does die at the end of this movie. Yes. Um, I'm pretty sure that was not a hallucination. That's not something that was in Nina's head. I'm pretty sure she actually did die for that role. And I think Nina's mother is an, is an actually fascinating character because it is the archetype of the parent who didn't succeed pushing their child to succeed in the area they were in. And you can see in a few scenes where the aggressive side of Nina's mother comes out where she's about to throw away the cake where she is making, where she sees that Nina is self-harming. And it seems that a lot of Nina's issues might have come from her being an over-controlling parent or what's now referred to as helicopter parenting, where it's the opposite of an absentee parent a parent that's far too involved, that doesn't let their child live their own life. And a lot of times, those children act out, lash out, in an effort to break free from the proverbial chains of the overbearing parent. And you can definitely see that in specifically the bar sequence where she just lets loose and goes all out until she snaps back from... Uh, the ecstasy that was put into her drink and she freaks out because she instantly becomes worried, oh, what is my mother going to do? Which could be a signal towards past abuse and 
I think a lot of the underlying issues, while yes, are from the pressure that's put on by the role, also come from her obsession with pleasing her mother. And I think she, I think another thing she might think is if I please my mother, if I make her actually proud of me, I might be able to be free from these shackles for once. Right. But as we know from the, is it exposition? What he does? Re-explains the entire fucking movie? I want to say that's exposition. That is a little bit of exposition. But, um, yeah, you know, I don't like that part of that movie. I, I really don't. I feel like we could have gone without it, just if we didn't know what happens to the Swan Queen, um, uh, to the White Swan. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of would have liked it if we didn't know what was going to happen. Because, like, as soon as you see that, uh, as soon as you hear that, you you get to see all the signs. You get to see um, Mila Kunis' character, Lily, uh, you know, pers- uh, not persuading, uh, but uh, kind of coercing and seducing the prince while, uh, and Nina thinks that she lost her chance at freedom and she kills herself because that's what happens. But yeah, that's definitely what happens in the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. There's not really any other way to sum it up. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to say? Remember TikTokers of the world. Clout isn't everything. Too much clout will make you go insane. I mean, really, if you think about it, the movie's all about, like, wanting to get that clout. Yes, in a 2010 sense of the term. God damn it, this movie is nearly 10 years old already. Yeah. I remember first hearing about it, how there's, like, a lesbian scene or whatever. Did nothing for me, but that's not a surprise. (laughs) Uh, Walter, we're at 20 minutes. Is there anything that you would like to add, sir? Because I'm still utterly confused, but it's fine. What, what questions do you have, Bob? So, like, with the whole helicopter parenting thing, does that make the mom, like, the primary antagonist, or is it still the... I think Nina's the primary antagonist. So think... she's, her own, she's her own worst enemy. Right, and that's... Kind of what the swan, uh, swan prince, uh, queen? The swan queen. The swan queen. That's what the swan queen is about. Where, that's why, uh, that's why they're played by the same dancer, I believe. Yes. And that's not just for the movie. Traditionally, I believe the ballet, the swan queen, the white queen, the white swan, and the black swan are played by the same person. It's actually, uh, something that always, it's one of those theater tradition things, like in stage adaptions of Peter Pan, the father and Captain Hook are often played by the same actor. Um, in Hairspray, which we're going to get to shortly, is the character of Edna is always played by a man to reflect John Waters and his past, uh, or, well, the character of Edna is always played by a man in drag in Hairspray because of Divine, the original actor who played uh, who played the character in the original 1980s Hairspray movie. He was a close friend of John Waters, and uh, to honor his memory, because he wasn't trans, he was a drag queen that went by the name of Divine. I forget his real name now, but he very much identified as a man just in drag. Um, but in order to honor Divine, who died shortly after Hairspray, uh, the Broadway adaption and the movie adaptions always have the character of Edna being played by a man in drag. So that's why John Travolta played Edna in the movie. That's why Harvey Firestein uh, played Edna in the stage production, the original stage production, and I believe, yeah, the live show. The live show also had Harvey Firestein come back as Edna. And also, I believe during a run of it, uh, late stand-up comedian John Penney played 
the role? John Panay? I think so. That sounds about right. Is that the guy who always wore the hat? I don't know. No, he was the guy who all of his materials about food. Oh, okay. Um, so we went off track and talked about hairspray, like I always do in my life. But, uh... For the hairspray episode, boys. Oh, God, the hairspray episode. I'm going to love the hairspray episodes. Neither of you have seen it. I'm ready. All uh, right. I think the whole duality thing, it's definitely a thing within this film where I think the characterization that Nina has towards Mila Kunis's character is definitely an extension of what she wishes she could be, like how she wishes she could be assertive and take the control and demand the roles instead of just like being very reserved, asking. The like, thing is, we don't see Mila Kunis do a lot in this movie. We see her dance a little bit, but not a lot. Um, we see her, uh, you know, obviously in the hallucinations and the party and all that stuff, but we don't really see much of her. We don't really see the connection as to why she is the one that Nina points out in her hallucinations and everything besides the fact that she's the new girl. Um, there's another girl, Veronica, that uh, is kind of established that they do have this very antagonistic relationship towards each other each other uh to the point where the where the point uh, to the point where the director tricks nina into thinking she didn't get the role and veronica did causing nina to go uh congratulate veronica when veronica finds out that nina actually got the role which is kind of a dick move from the director but yeah uh, i definitely think veronica probably should have been make me lacunas's character and veronica one and the same make them the ones so there's already this established rivalry because right. in the Swan Queen, the Black Swan and the White Swan are twin sisters, or I believe, yeah, it, twins. Twins. They are twins. Maybe she is on just another member of the theater trope. Maybe they've been at each other for a while, and that's why they manifest as that. So I would have made me Lacunas' character Veronica. And I think another really interesting character, even though she had very little screen time, was uh, Beth. Yes, Winona Ryder, Joyce Byers. Yeah. You don't know what that is. No. Stranger Things. Hit him with that. Watch it. I will. I wish that had harder on your dragon. Anyway, the character of Beth McIntyre, um, she's the former basically head dancer. We can call her prima ballerina. That's I think that's a term that they use, prima yeah. ballerina. Okay. She's the former prima ballerina. She is the star of every production. And it's very heavily implied that she is unwillingly retiring, that she's very much forced into retiring because Tomas feels she's too old. Right. And at the like combination her retirement party and the announcement of the new season she has a bit too much to drink she goes a little off the rails and she gets hit by a car and then when nina goes to visit her at the hospital she returns things that she had previously stolen from beth because she wanted to literally be beth right does she do that and does she kill beth i think she returns the things and she kills beth because in nina's mind it looked like beth was repeatedly stabbing herself right. whereas when she gets on the elevator she has the file in her hand and her hands are covered in blood so well, from what i noticed from that stabbing scene i noticed a lot of stabbing to the face right do you think that would kill her or just simply disfigure her? um if a nurse or something notices i wouldn't think it would kill her but i'm pretty sure a wound like that left alone you eventually bleed out 
So yeah, there's tons of scenes where you can ask, is this real? Is this not? Um, there's a lot of very disturbing imagery, like the hangnail scene. God damn it. You're off the show, Walter. I remember when I first saw that in theaters, it, yeah. And then the scene where she physically, in her mind, transforms into a swan. Right, that was actually pretty badass when she turns into the black swan. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, her body just disfigures into her mirror, making her a swan with the wings and everything. Right. And I thought the effects, like, when she literally becomes the black swan towards the end, were really well done. Right. And the character of Tomas, I think if anyone's the antagonist, truly, it's him. Yeah, guy's kind of a dick. Yeah, he very much manipulates Nina. He very much... Sexually assaults her. Let's not... Yes. Let's not piddle around it. No, yeah. absolutely. And then, after all that happens, and she miss... And everyone thinks she suddenly gets the role, everyone seems to think that Nina and Tomas are sleeping together, which is very much not the case. Though, despite Tomas's efforts to make that the case. Right. We're at 30 minutes, Walter. And we could go on about this for hours, but we don't have hours. So just in conclusion, it's one of my favorite movies of the decade. I believe, I actually think it should have won Best Picture the year it was nominated, though it did not. It lost the King's Speech. Yeah, which I have not seen King's Speech. So you can't have an opinion. Tune in next week when we review Not the King's Speech. But actually, Bobby, what are we going to talk about next week? Because you have to do work again, because it's your turn. That's absolutely fine. We're going to be going over another one of my absolute favorite movies, Bernie, starring Jack Black. Spoiler alert, it's not one of those bad Jack Black movies. It's actually quite good. As long as it... It's It's not not Roger Libre. (laughs) It's not one of those things where the comedian's trying to do a dramatic role, is it? Um, it's kind of exactly that, except he actually does it the right way. Okay, because I saw Steve Carell in Foxcatcher. That was bullshit. I've heard the exact opposite of Foxcatcher. He was so bad in Foxcatcher. I hated his character in Foxcatcher. He's just so boring and weird. That's how the real-life guy was. He was weird. He abused his wrestlers. Right, yeah, no. sexually mentally and killed one of them yes 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 he did <laughs> yes i'm aware i saw fox catcher but jesus man it's like if they made a movie out of walter it's okay guys you know why it's another biopic but it's not fox catcher so don't you worry okay all right uh, i might be down for this all right so, all right so um, your guys's final thoughts on the film yeah i thought it was pretty great you know should probably teach it in film schools you know i i know all them nerdy sons of bitches would be all gobbling up this movie darren aronofsky aronofsky and what have you. Which, by the way, speaking of Darren Aronofsky, this is probably the only chance we'll get to talk about um, his failed pitch for a Batman film, which involved Bruce Wayne not living at Wayne Manor, and Alfred was not a butler, but Alfred was the owner of a junkyard, and his name was just Big Al. Yes, there's a reason why Darren Aronofsky didn't make that movie. If you uh, go to his Wikipedia page, you'll see other movies that he didn't make, including that one. Oh, God. Oh, he was a producer on that. What? I was going to say he directed that Russell Crowe Noah movie. Oh, God. But he didn't. What's he done for me lately? He did Mother, exclamation point. I hear that one, you know. I know them film kids. Really into that. Shout out to SIU. Oh, my. All my pairs out there. Uh, He did Requiem for a Dream. No, he directed Noah. Oh, son of a...